I'm introducing Brandon Marcello right now, who is a fellow Perform Better speaker. Um, I got the privilege of listening to years ago, and um, I've become very friendly with him over the last year. We're fellow uh, paisans. We share vowels in our last name, which is uh, always, uh, always, uh, always a. It's like a tight bond here. Zach wouldn't know anything of. Uh, we could change Zach Ziegler Row or something. Ziegler E. We could figure something out. Um, but I've been telling Zach a lot about you because you're probably. I, I would go as far. I mean, you're probably one of my favorite speakers that I've I've ever listened to, and you're also covering what I feel is the most important topic that I feel a lot of us a lot of people out there neglect and struggle with yeah and struggle with so i think this is going to be a really interesting conversation for a lot of our viewers today the best way to describe you is you be a consultant for any organization that wants to optimize or improve the categories of sleep and recovery or yeah it? so it's it's a matter it, no it's fair it's, it's solving human performance problems really um so anybody who's trying to solve a particular problem as it relates to human performance yeah i kind of kind of jump in and kind of help uh problem solve outside of athletics and, and sports is, is there something that's most common that people come to you and and, and want to help you know get ironed out no there's no common thread it's all very much different um some people just want to know are they what they're doing is working um some people want to get an audit more a sense of how they are doing things as an organization you know do they need to improve anywhere um are there any gaps in their performance protocols or systems or staffs um, other people are trying to, you know, get to the problem of like a musculoskeletal injury issue, like the military is doing right now, and some of the stuff I'm working with them. Um, and other teams just trying to optimize either recovery or nutrition, or really, it, it, it varies widely, um, organization to organization, team to team. You know, it's it's always exciting to me to discuss performance when it comes to athletics and sports or bodybuilding or call what you want, but it it, it actually excites me even more to see someone like yourself being hired by, and I'm not saying you are, but uh, um, like a company like Google, who would be interested in what they can do to improve the performance of their workers, of their employees. Because, you know, we really live in a society, it's it's terrible. I mean, yeah. you're going to a workplace where you're underneath all this lighting all day, you're sitting in a chair all day, you're under high stress environments, and then organizations wonder why they're not getting performance out of their workers. Right, plus the the hours that people work super long. I think there's uh, like a cutoff at which you start to just deteriorate, and, and, and doctor, you know more than me. Like, is, is that something that you advise people on, like, or, or companies, or, or uh, how long people should be, you know, spending during the work week at work or thinking about work? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that, and I talked about this in, in one of the presentations that Don just heard me speak about was that to really optimize performance, you know, we get so caught up in the physical domain. And really, it's about optimizing form performance in the physical, the social, the cognitive and emotional domains. And I think we forget about that often. And, and that plays into exactly what you're speaking about is that, you know, what is the impact socially, emotionally, and cognitively um, in a workplace setting? Not just physically, right, from like a posture standpoint or sitting, but what else is happening, right, that, that might impede our performance or might throw up a barrier to allowing us to, to live life on our own terms, which is really all we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, this will, I mean, this will technically improve anyone i mean you could be a bodybuilder trying to get ready for the olympia which we're going to be at in four weeks you could be in the military you could be 
a scientist, uh, someone working on Wall Street. I mean, there are some specific things that you tell people to do that no matter what, whether it's building muscle, whether it's brain function, it's a lot of the same stuff, isn't it? 100%. At the end of the day, the common thread between all of those pieces is that we're all humans and we're trying to optimize human performance. And if we can optimize the human first, then the greater the chances that we'll be able to optimize ourselves as a bodybuilder, a barista, a stay-at-home dad, a teacher, an attorney, an engineer, uh, you know, whatever it might be, an editor, right? So whatever your chosen career path might be, um, being optimized as a human first will stack the odds in your favor of being a successful performer. When you do, you go uh, step by step with somebody uh, to figure out their sleep hygiene, and do you have like recommendations like? You know, should I buy the uh, memory foam mattress that's organic bamboo and has, I don't know, marshmallow unicorn tails in it that's, you know, super soft and fluffy? Like, is that, is that all just marketing? <laughs> I want that mattress. Yeah. <laughs> is that all just marketing or does it actually matter? Is there, is there recommendations that you have? Yes. So so I sleep on the unicorn mattress uh, <laughs> myself. Um, well, then I'm, I'm getting um, one. So, no. It, it, I think the first place to start is asking them kind of, you know, what are the barriers for you getting a good night's sleep, right? What are the things that are impeding you from getting rest? Because I think everybody at the end of the day knows that magic number of eight, right? Which is kind of give or take, right? It's not you have to get eight. Everybody, someone's going to be a little more, a little less. But, you know, I think everybody understands that sleep is good, um, the impact of sleep and how it can impact your performance. But, you know, what are the barriers? Is it uh, temperature? Is it maybe light? Is it pain, right? Pain can be a huge impediment to sleep. So maybe we need to get you to a physical therapist or you know, an orthopedic surgeon, whoever the right person, chiropractor, um, to, to, to get that pain taken care of so you can get a good night's rest. Uh, maybe they have kids at home. Uh, maybe it is their bed, right? And um, you know, they have to buy a new mattress. And then, then people always ask me to do about the mattresses and say, well, what type of mattress do you recommend? That's an individual preference, right? right? It, it's it's not like a glass of water. Hmm. Um, it's very much you know something which is individualized. Some people like something more firm or soft. Yeah, we can get into organic types of you know um, cottons and and fabrics that don't eliminate a lot of, of VOCs or, or volatile organic compounds, um, which I would recommend. But you know, at the end of the day, what is going to get you that decent sleep is probably the most important thing. So it's it's. I guess circling back again, I'll reiterate what I first said is that it starts with examining what are your barriers to getting a good night's rest. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, I'm sure, uh, for me anyway, it's, you know, I know you're supposed to put down your device an hour or so before, I don't know the exact time, uh, but that sometimes doesn't happen. And I know that it probably keeps me thinking or just gets my brain going. And I think it's probably step one for a lot of people, but... I don't know. What about you, Don? Do you, do you- I, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, stress for me, I mean, and Brandon, you've been in the industry over 20 years. You've been a PhD for, for how long at that time? All 20, 22 years, pretty much? No, 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 no. I actually went back to school and got my PhD in the middle of it. So, okay. Uh, so I, yeah. made you, I made you out to seem older than you really are. You're probably younger than I am. But I, uh, No, I'm old. I was old five years ago. <laughs> I, was um, I, I think what... Um, Yes, the, the the handheld devices, all this, just stress in general. And I feel like as I'm getting older, I start finding out um, that recovery is changing, that when I'm on my handheld device and I'm in this position, I'm in this posture, my back gets achy. 
because I'm, I'm, I'm commuting in every day. When I went through a lot of stress in my environment of business and I continued with my training and my rest felt the same and I felt like I was doing everything around me, I saw my body get tighter and I saw that my ability to sprint, I lost a step. And for a while, it's like, and I know the answers to this stuff, but it's, I'm like, oh my God, this is fine. This is happening to me. How am I actually getting tighter? Why is it when I'm going to touch my toes, I can't pancake my palms to the floor anymore? And it's actually a little bit of a slower move. And I related it all back to stress. And I was like, oh my God, for the, for, I, I went through a lot of business stress over the last several years, and that had to be what did it. And how many of us out there always think it's an exercise? Or always think, even it's like, oh, I got to stand up more from my chair. Sure, I got to do that. I got to get off the phone more. But can you talk about stress right now? Because that's really what this is all about, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, it's really stress and coping. And how do we um, metabolize stress? Because everybody metabolizes stress a little bit differently. Um, and some people, you know, things stress don't quite bother them as much. Um, other people, it manifests itself in different forms. You know, it could be a backache. Uh, it could be stiff muscles for some people. Other people, it could be esophageal reflux. Um, it could be migraines for other people. Um, everybody's going to have, stress is going to manifest itself differently for every individual. So figuring out ways that you can help metabolize the stress, handle the stress, cope with the stress. But there's a, so many, you know, devices and wearables now that are supposed to help track this type of stuff, right? So you can monitor your stress and monitor how you're recovering. Do they actually work? Um, no. Most of these devices are random number generators. Um, and, and now I think the good thing is with these devices, it gets people thinking about sleep. It gets people thinking about recovery. Um, so that means people are actually wanting to make a change there. Um, however, they're ability to be accurate at you know determining stress levels uh determining what you need to do for recovery um are, are just not there yet um and it doesn't make it a bad product it just means the question you have to ask is how much error are you willing to accept mm -hmm. right it, it's very similar like body composition if, if i want to know how much body fat i have i can do a dexa scan which is going to be pretty accurate right or i can just have don guess Right, mm -hmm. and Don can guess, and he'll probably have a pretty good guess because he's more educated than others at it, right? But um, at the end of the day, I'm willing to accept more air if I just have someone guess my body composition rather than do calipers or rather than uh, get a DEXA scan or something like that. So that's really what it comes down to: is how much air are you willing to accept? And if you're willing to accept a lot of air, then you really can't make a lot of uh, insights and actionable decisions based upon that data, which that wearable might be giving you. How much error should we expect? So there was a study done in uh, the Journal, uh, Journal of American Medical Association, so JAMA. Um, and it was a study from a couple of years ago that looked at wrist-worn heart rate devices. Uh, and the best device at the time of this study was the Apple Watch. And the Apple Watch uh, came in as the best. And what does best mean? Best means 90% of the differences fell within minus 27 and plus 29 beats per minute wow. hmm. uh, when compared to an EKG, which, which is significant, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, if you get a chest strap, those things are very accurate, right? There's they're very little error with those, obviously, because they're closer to the heart, right? And you're picking up electrical currents. But when you're getting to the wrist, and again, that's assuming that that Apple Watch mm -hmm. is worn in the right position, and at the right tension. 
Um, so there's just a lot of error in these things. Um, and these technologies are getting better uh, by the day, and they've advanced yeah, even more in the last we, couple of years. Why haven't they nailed it yet? It just seems like, you know, they, it, there, was, there was a time when they really started exploring the wristwatch and measuring. I remember Mio Alto for years mm -hmm. came out with something, yeah. and you start looking at these different watches. And then I, I just feel like Garmin, they just never really, they just can't nail it. Why is it so difficult? You would just think that they would get it by now. Well, I think there's some technology gaps. And then the other thing is uh, money, right? It's like if they do a market survey and they say the best one is 70% accurate, well, why do I want to spend millions of dollars of R&D to get it to 99% when I can just spend 200,000 and get to 75% and now I can say I'm the best, right? So it's getting out the minimum viable product in, in many instances. Um, to where people are still going to purchase it. It's like an iPhone, right? The worst function of an iPhone is the phone, right? That's like the worst part of the iPhone, right? We don't, it drops all the time, hmm. spotty reception like we're having now, <laughs> but everything else works great, right? But people are willing to accept that because of the other features and other things that it can do. So when, I, when I'm interviewing, and I just did this, I interviewed the, uh, the CEO of the Whoop Strap, and I asked him a lot of these questions. You know, how accurate is it? Oh, they're so accurate. Everything's accurate. And you're saying it's probably not as accurate as they would would want it to be, but it may be more accurate than uh, well, I don't know what Garmin was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the, the Whoop is on their third generation. They just released their third generation, and it's way better than their first generation, right? But mm -hmm. way better doesn't mean it's going to be a hundred percent accurate. They're getting more data by the beak because they're, they're getting their products in everybody's hands. So they're able to kind of sharpen their algorithm, if you will. So they're kind of building the plane while they're flying it, right? Um, you know, as opposed to doing a lot of the work up front. So that's just a choice. It doesn't mean they're good or bad. Um, and the other thing is, it's kind of like, I, I know they base a lot of their information off of heart rate variability, right, for their strain measurement. And heart rate variability, if you have conversations with, physiologists conversations with experts in the field of heart rate variability they will be very upfront and tell you that hrv isn't telling you what it thinks it's telling you um, it's a very muddy number it's influenced by a lot of other physiological systems it's just not as clean cut as your sympathetic and parasympathetic activity of the heart um, so you know one are you getting good data at the risk probably not um, and then you're using it to generate a number which probably isn't telling you what you think it's telling you. So, um, again, I, I don't think HRV, you shouldn't do it. I just think it needs to be layered with other information. Um, it's kind of like if you come into the hospital and I take your temperature and you have a 104 degree temperature. Great. So do I send you home to take a nap or do I take out your appendix, right? I don't have enough information to really make a determination. So now I have to layer it with other things. What, what are symptoms you're experiencing? How are you feeling? Do you have pain here? And if you point to your appendix, then I might run a blood test and say, okay, let's look at your white blood cell count. Let's look at rebound tenderness at McBurney's point, right? So all these different things we can do to kind of lower the error rates of me making the incorrect decision or incorrect diagnosis. So I'm trying to stack the odds in my favor of giving a successful diagnosis in this instance, right? I was, I was gonna save this, this, um, this topic to bring up, but you know, you're talking about HRV and the reason why we're, we wanna dive into HRV is to measure readiness, correct? I mean, typically what these professional sport teams are trying to do, the ultimate goal of an organization, and I talked to Charlie Weingroff off, 
a, a lot is they want to figure out what is the readiness of those athletes <laughs> on that given day so they can set them up for success. Because right. the, the days of, you know, Rocky, one of my favorite movies of all time, it really sets one of the worst examples. I mean, everyone's like, let me wake <laughs> right. up at four in the morning, let me drink a raw egg, let me go run in the freezing cold, <laughs> I'm going to be exhausted, allow me to push through that. And though it does set this level of, you know, intensity, motivation, which I love, what is the best way now to measure readiness? If I'm if I'm going in and I'm looking and and, and I'm I want to work with a professional organization. If I, how about this? I'm the New York Mets right now and I'm ha- hiring Brandon Marcello to come in. I'm like Brandon, I want you to set up a protocol to measure readiness. Well, what how much that? you going to pay him? Secret, or is no. it, or is that the secret sauce that you know we can't talk about? What you say? So how much are you going to pay him? You're the Mets, yeah, so exactly. you got to get, get him on board first. <laughs> yeah, you got to get him on board, but man. Is there, is there a specific like? Or do we have those answers yet? Well, I don't think we have those answers yet. I mean, again, it's, we're trying to find out. We're in a, in a, a world right now where we're collecting a lot of information. Um, and people are mm-hmm. saying, I, I think one of the problems with our field right now is that people are over-promising and under-delivering. Um, and the most dangerous thing about data is people's ability to misinterpret it. And I think that's kind of where we are, is that people want to make insights about readiness, and performance based upon a season's worth of data. And that's just not enough. Um, You know, if you look at like the example I like to use is weather prediction models, right? Um, We have hundreds of years of historical data. We have thousands of live stream data points from satellites, from weather buoys, from radar stations and weather stations around the globe. Uh, We have supercomputers that are crunching the most for weather prediction, yet when a hurricane is coming, they have a 500-mile cone of uncertainty, right? So it's like, and I look at data in sports as the same way, right? There's going to be a lot of error there until we can have enough data and know that our algorithms are actually good enough to measure it. But at the end of the day, all data should be being used for is to help drive decisions and make informed decisions. They shouldn't be making the decisions for you it should be used to help you make a better decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the best way to put it. Yeah. So what sense. you're basically saying is that the wearables, the heart rate variability, it's giving us some valuable information, but it's not it's not everything, and we shouldn't be making all of our decisions on it. Yep. We should just be, it should be steering us in a good direction. And it's not accurate at all. So that, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, no, but it, but it, but it is, and, and I'll, I'll give you a case in point. So like, you know, if you guys were to eat lunch, right, and I measured your HRV, parasympathetic activity to the heart will be suppressed. And the reason parasympathetic activity is the heart after you eat is because your heart rate needs to increase because of the needs of digestion. So if I was to measure your heart rate variability during that time, I might get a false indication that you're not quite ready to train simply because you ate Chipotle. Right. So there's a lot of nuances and a lot of things that can come into play um, that can throw this number off. You drink a glass of water and that will throw your heart rate all out of whack. Right. Right. And that's supported by research. So I think it's just, again, going back to the air thing, you have to understand what is the table and what it doesn't. Right. I know a hurricane is coming. I'm just not sure where it's going to hit. I know this number is telling me something that something might be rotten in Denmark, but I'm going to have to do a lot of other investigating and do some other tests to see if this is actually true or not true. Getting into the top, I mean, getting into, it was great that you said water because I'm really seeing it with clients with, with alcohol. 
So when the, and that's yeah. and that's the one positive area. I mean, I can point out with these wearables. It's my favorite area. Is that you said the word earlier? It's awareness. And that when you're putting this on someone's wrist now or strapping them up and they're starting to think. I had a client come in the other day that uh, I think was using Omega Wave and um, they said that they had one tequila last night or was it like a glass of wine and they were thinking about another one but they knew it was going to mess up their numbers the next day so they didn't have it. And right there in itself, I, I think that was, it, it kind of paid everything back in gold. But um, And the funny part is you've probably told them to cut back on alcohol and yet they didn't take that advice but yet they it, it made they had to see it in order to take it so 100 right yes. um good good stuff so we got into the wearable aspect of it so you do believe that the technology is continuing to improve we are 75 percent there roughly um but you know we still have some room for improving in those areas um, getting it so, you know, when you talk about sleep and you talk about recovery, can you go into some recovery modalities? Because at the end of the day, there's things we can do to improve sleep. And, and I've heard you discuss this, you know, um, masks, blacking out your room, um, yep. med meditation. There's, I, I, I want you, if possible, to start going through your favorite recovery modalities that will actually help improve sleep. Well, I, so from a, from a sleep standpoint, uh, again, going back to the barriers, I think light is a big one. And, you know, Don, I've, I've watched, you know, I follow you on social media, and obviously we've talked about this, but you're very cognizant of your environment mm -hmm. and how that can influence you. And Zach even alluded to this with, you know, like your device at night. Um, yes, we can put our devices down or we can turn the TV off, but, you know, many of these um, high efficiency LED light bulbs emit a ton of blue light. And blue light, uh, as, as you guys know, suppresses melatonin. Um, <clears throat> so if you haven't altered the lighting in your home, or your bathroom um, or, or the rest of your house, that can impede your ability to get a good night's sleep, even if you don't have a TV on and are just reading a book in that blue light heavy environment. Um, so the blue light blocking glasses are, are beneficial. However, as other things and other wearables, right, um, blue light blocking glasses are not all created equal. Um, some filter out 99% of the blue light, some filter out only 25% of the blue light. The bad news is the ones that filter out 100% or 99% of the blue light are not very fashion forward. <laughs> they are the ugliest things um, and, and they don't fit very well. Uh, they look like safety goggles that you would wear in like a lab or like working in a wood shop. Um, hmm. but, um, but they work, right? And then some of the other ones that look really good and are very fashionable and actually are comfortable to wear, they may only block out 25%. So, you kind of have to be aware and do your due diligence on those. Um, so what I recommend is people kind of wear the ugly ones at night. They're cheap. They're like eight bucks, nine bucks on Amazon, right? And it's a UVEX Skyper is actually the one that blocks out uh, 99%. Um, that's what I have at home. But I wouldn't wear those in public. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's start wearing them right. on the show. We but can start wearing the day but, ones. <laughs> um, then, then there's also, um, you know, the room has to be dark. Uh, temperature is a big one. And temperature is a big one because you have uh, many times you share a bed with somebody and their temperature preference is not the same as your temperature preference. So if you put the room at 67 degrees, which is ideal, right? Um, and your partner who you're sleeping with is freezing cold, that's not gonna make for a fun night. So my wife and I actually have um, chili pads hmm. in our bed. So uh, you put them underneath, uh, on your mattress and she has one and I have one and we run them at different temperatures. 
And so she tends to sleep really hot at night. So she has hers quite cooler. I have mine, you know, two degrees probably warmer, but we both love it. And then I also set it up to where it kind of wakes me up in warmingness. So it warms up as as the night goes on and kind of wakes me up. Noise can be another problem for some people. Uh, And when I say noise, it doesn't mean it has to be enough to wake you up. You can have an imperceivable awakening to where there's just enough noise to pull you out of like a REM sleep, but not enough to actually wake you up. So you may not even realize you're not getting good quality sleep just because there's some low level noise happening in the home. Instead, you might want to look at some, maybe like a white noise machine. You go to Target and buy one for like, you know, 25 bucks, turn on high and it's great. You can also travel with it. Um, Your phones can make white noise. Um, An air filter, I love air filters in the rooms because they also help with white noise as well. They they make a little bit of noise. Um, Or you can go and get some Bose sleep buds that are very comfortable. They actually go in the ear. They're made to sit in your ear and sleep. Um, You can't listen to whatever you want through them. Uh, You have to listen to Bose like native uh, sounds that they have within their app. But um, you know, if noise is a problem, that that would be a great recommendation that I that I always you know bring to the forefront. Um, yeah, those are like the biggest ones. And like I all said, air quality is a big one too. So um, I'm a big fan of air quality uh, in your room. Um, I like plants. So if you want to go the plant route, the variegated snake plant, also called mother-in-law's tongue, hmm. is the best plant to have in your bedroom because it actually releases oxygen at night as opposed to releasing oxygen during the day like other plants do. So that's the plant you would want to have in your help kind of scrub the air to help you get a good night's sleep. So those are some of the quick ones. What did you say? How did you how do you measure air, air quality again? What, what do you use to measure that? So a couple of things. I have uh, an Eve room in all the rooms in our house, um, and it measures air quality of the VOCs in the room. Um, if you want to know outside, you can just go on your, if you have an, an Apple Watch, you go to the weather app and scroll down, and it'll tell you the air quality index, the AQI. Um, or you can just Google it and it'll tell you the AQI in the area. Um, it's fantastic. There's so many little things that we can do. And I, and I always say, I'm always a believer that there's just specific things that's unavoidable. Like I work in New York City. We work in New York City. Yeah. Um, the air quality may not be to par. The level of stress, the time of the morning I have to wake up out of my control right, right, right now. So there's two mornings a week I'm getting up at 4 a.m. I know and texting me at 5 a.m. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to improve that. But, you know, I'm always a believer that there's so many little things that you can fix that are just non-intrusive to your life. Like when you just said the sleep quality or the blue light glasses. It's like, yeah. big deal. Get in, get in bed at night, throw them on. That's one check in the box. That's one area that you can improve. Is there Are there any other really low-hanging fruit items that you can like relay to our viewers that are just specific things that they should be doing, they can be doing. Can you, can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is try and develop a routine, Yeah. right? Just like anything in your life, right? And, I, and routines are hard, I get it, but like, you know, we talk about sleep hygiene and, you know, if we compare it to dental hygiene, we do something every day, hopefully twice a day, right? We, we don't just wake up this morning and say, you know what, I'm just gonna brush my bottom teeth today, hmm. right? Maybe tomorrow I'll get my top molar That's or two disgusting. of them, right? You know, so, so, right, right? But because we know there's a consequence to doing that, right? So we brush the same quantity with the same quality a couple of times a day, right? Because there's a cost of not doing that, right? That's dental hygiene and sleep should be looking the same way. So it's about getting the same quantity 
and the same quality, right? And not panicking if you get a couple of bad nights sleep, okay? It happens. It's not the end of the world, right? Uh, the question is, are you averaging like 49 hours over an entire, you know, week span, right? So seven hours for seven days. So you get one day, you get like five hours, but then can you make it up with maybe a nap or maybe going to bed a little bit early? So it's not hitting the panic button and stressing out too much about those things. Can you um, give our listeners a way of being able to kind of look you up? Is there is there an Instagram page? Is there um, a, a website that you have? Your know? home address, home stuff address, like that. telephone you know. number, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, home address, yeah, yeah. What I do now is I just give out Don's home address. <laughs> yeah. I say, come by anytime. Right? Uh, um, yeah, no, so I have an Instagram. Uh, it's bmarcello13. Uh, my Twitter is the same handle, uh, and I have a website. Uh, I'm not as good as keeping up on that thing, but it's um, brandonmarcellophd.com. Um, and you can I, I post some articles on there and some blogs from time to time, and you can always find out where I'll be. So, Well, as I said earlier, I think the world of Brandon, he's turned into a friend, and I think I truly believe that what he's bringing to the table is probably one of the most overlooked and most important components not just a sport performance or bodybuilding, just life. It's anything, just, yeah. Just, just anything. So, Brandon, thank you for your time, really. I, I, I can't course. thank you enough. No, I appreciate you guys having me, and it was a blast chatting. Awesome. And yeah. I actually want to reach out to you about a project I'm working on, so I think we could talk a little bit maybe the next week or so. If you have okay. some time, I'll shoot you a message, right? I'm glad that we. I'm glad that you put that in there. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you put that in there at the end. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Military stuff. <laughs> no, Thanks, I, brother. 